This is a Color Pencil Podcast, session number 192. Welcome to Sharpened Artist, a colored pencil podcast where we discuss in detail all things in and around colored pencils and the colored pencil artist. And now your hosts, Lisa Clow and John Middick. My name is John Middick of SharpenedArtist.com. <laughs> I am cracking myself up because I'm thinking about what you said last week about what? Uh, you got a big, stupid, silly grin on your face whenever <laughs> you're stealing my line. <laughs> that just cracked me up. I just ha- happened to think of that at the wrong time. <laughs> uh, I'm John Middick of SharpenedArtist.com, and I'm joined by Lisa Clout of Lockery Fine Art. Lisa, how be you today? I be good today, and I, <laughs> I good. has good grammar. I don't know. I was trying to figure out a way to mess that statement up, and it wasn't working for me. My brain, match match my bad grammar. You cannot match my bad grammar, so <laughs> don't even try. Uh, this is a show about colored pencil where we discuss anything and everything surrounding this medium that we love so much. So we had a plethora of Q&A come in, or of questions come in, I guess. The A would be our part. So we're going to go ahead and continue answering these questions today. First question comes from Taryn, who writes, does the colored pencil community tend to value real... uh, Wow, that didn't come out right at all. Does the colored pencil community tend to value realistic work over cartoony styles? Meaning, does the community view realistic work as good work and cartoony as not good work? So I think this is the thing, and it can be the same with like abstract or impressionism with colored pencil. I think what happens is you have a lot of people who are just drawn to colored pencil because it's so great for tiny detail. So you have people who are super interested in, in... painting or drawing things really realistic and the pencils are just a great medium for that. So I think that's a lot of what you're seeing there where it's just so many who love realism are drawn to pencils for that. But I don't know. I don't know if I'd say that people don't view it as good work. It's just that you don't see it as often. There aren't as many people who are drawn to more cartoony styles or abstract who are interested in colored pencil. So that it's more unusual to see. It's almost like you won't have, I don't want to say as big of a support group within the colored pencil community. It's just not as many people are in interested themselves in that style um, just because of the nature of this medium. But I I think anytime, anytime you get into different styles, you're always going to have uh, groups of people who prefer one style over another and maybe may, some of them will judge. Like you have people who are really into abstract art and they see somebody who painted oil painting that's realism and you get the why bother? Why not just take a photograph comment? That's always the the what's the point of photorealism? Yeah, that's the default so, comment. Yeah, right you're there. no matter what medium you work in, you're going to have different groups of people who don't like different styles. And I wouldn't say that the colored pencil community as a whole doesn't like colored cartoony work. It's just that more often than not, the people who are drawn to colored pencil tend to do so because it's so perfect for that tiny detail in realism. Yeah, I I guess I would have to try to figure out, you know, how you're defining the colored pencil community, um, because, you know, that that could mean, I suppose, a number of things. But 
Um, if you're interested in doing whimsical art or caricatures or cartoony or whatever you're classifying, uh, Taryn, as cartoony, then I would say just go ahead and do that if that's something that, that appeals to you and that's something you want to really do. Um, and if you have respect for your own work and what you're doing and you're confident in, you know, producing that type of work, uh, then I think you're going to enjoy it and you're going to, um, you know, soar in that area. And I wouldn't worry so much about, you know, what some group of people are considering good work or not good work. Um, if you're doing it more for, you know, a status thing or self-esteem or whatever, and you're wanting to find out what people will um, approve of or that kind of thing, then I've got some <laughs> maybe some not so good news about that. You're always going to be disappointed, I think. Yeah. Um, I think I would more try to just do something that you are very, very interested in. And to Lisa's point, yeah, uh, because of the fine, tiny little pinpoint on the pencil uh, and we're coloring, then it the medium lends itself to realistic work. And I, we we really just can't get away from that too much, that there's always going to be many of us who are drawn to that type of of work. And this is part, you know, part of the reason why we use colored pencil. So uh, it would also depend on whether or not, you know, you like more illustration type style of work or fine art, that sort of thing. So, yeah, but I wouldn't worry about it. I would just do the work that makes you feel good and the work that you enjoy to uh, creating. And that really should be, that's such good advice. That should be no matter what medium we work in, what you're doing, mm -hmm. you should always create what you're passionate about, not what you think will be popular with somebody else, because you are setting yourself up, up for a huge failure and disappointment if you're creating work based on you think somebody, some other group would like it that way. You're not going to enjoy it as much. Lee writes, the white does not cover, doesn't pop. It looks dull and just doesn't give me the highlights I want. I can't figure it out. All right, so... There's a lot of unknowns here, uh, Lee, with this particular question, but I know what you're saying. I suppose that, you know, you're not, you're not able to get a very opaque white in colored pencil. Um, that's a, a typical problem, I would say. And unless you're using, uh, sanded paper, then you're always going to run into the problem where white is just not something that you're going to be using as an opaque color, especially on top of anything that is dark. Most of the time when I'm using white, I'm using it to dull down a color or to lighten up a color. I'm n I'm never thinking that I'm going to use a white pencil to make something pop if you're talking about just using a white pencil. That I, I just it just isn't going to happen unless you're on a textured surface like sanded paper or something like that. Um Otherwise, yeah, there's different methods, there's different techniques that you would employ to be able to get the whites to pop. And you, most of the time, I mean, a traditional way of thinking about it, especially if you're using cotton paper or a watercolor paper, is you would reserve those areas that you want to remain white. If you're interested in more of a discussion about the brush and pencil products that uh, Lisa and I talked about last week, then I would go back to the show two weeks ago, and we covered that in depth on that show. Our next question comes from Donna, who writes, I have rheumatoid arthritis and I can't color due to pain. How do you manage? So that is actually what led me to start working with odorless mineral spirits because I used to burnish everything start to finish and it was causing too much pain. I couldn't put that kind of pressure on the work for the type of arthritis I have. The movement 
is actually really good and helps me my it'll keep my wrist from locking up um the type of arthritis i have it's from ankylosing spondylitis and it causes your joints to fuse together the more i move the less chance they have to start fusing is kind of a simple way to 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 think of that i'm sure a doctor's going to listen to this and be face palming like that's not exactly what it is but you know that's kind of the simple physicians love our show i tell you <laughs> <I know. laughs> um, but the more i can move the more i can kind of exercise that it, it's better for me i don't have as much pain so for me, working with colored pencil with a very light hand, I have no problem. The time I'll start to have a problem is if I when I start to burnish too much. So you, that's where using odorless mineral spirits to blend versus very much burnishing at all, that's what saved me. The position I sit in makes a difference too. Uh, now, I've got arthritis down my back, so I couldn't hunch over my table anymore, and that's how I used to work flat with colored pencil. So working upright at the easel, that has really helped both my back and my wrist seems to like that position pretty well too. So, I mean, I can't say that this is going to work for everybody because everybody's situation is going to be slightly different. But for me, it was keeping a light hand when I work and using odorless mineral spirits to blend versus adding pressure to the pencil to blend. Yeah, I don't know what I have. I call it uh, carpal tunnel. Well, I guess I do know that it's carpal tunnel a little bit, but that was like maybe 12 years ago or so that uh, I had one of those very horrifying experiences with, at a, uh, a clinic where they put these little probes in your <laughs> elbow yeah. and all that. Well, I can't remember what that's called, but um, anyway, they, they shoot a little bit of electricity and they say, oh, well, it won't hurt too much, you know? And uh, anyway, they hit a nerve once in a while and it hurts so bad. But anyway, I have carpal tunnel and I, I'm sure I have some arthritis as well, but I didn't have a doctor like tell me all about it. But um, from time to time, it gets so painful that I can't move a mouse. I can't draw or anything like that. And I'm sure if you're of any age at all past, you know, probably 40 that you can relate to all of this that we're talking about. So this is, you know, a plague of, of uh, getting older and it just happens. uh, And for some it's, you know, to a larger degree to some lesser. And it's something that we have to, uh, you know, Figure out and manage for ourselves. One thing that works for me and everyone's pain is going to be different in their situation, but I can put a wrist guard on and have it hold my hand in a certain position and I can still draw because of the stroke that that I use. The particular pencil stroke that I employ uh, allows me to still do that. It's not quite as comfortable, but it's manageable. Um, and then I can take some other things, some medicines that that will uh, help in that regard as well. Uh, I feel for you. I, I know what you're going through somewhat because of the, the pain. And just a tip, make sure you get that diagnosis before you start putting a wrist brace on because a lot of people, I did that. They thought that I had carpal tunnel because I was so young. We didn't, ankylosis spondylitis starts, ankylosine spondylitis. I can't talk today. That starts when you're very young, but we didn't know that that's what my problem was at the time. And so they kept giving me wrist braces. They thought the doctors thought I had carpal tunnel. They made me so much worse. And a lot of arthritis, if you put a brace on it, it'll actually make it worse. So make sure you, you figure out what it, you know, well, in your case, you have the arthritis. Check with the, the doctor and make sure, um, that, that don't, don't just. So make sure that you know what you're doing before you start throwing braces on things. Um, talk to your doctor about it because it can certainly make things worse. Another thing that you may want to do, because somebody like in your case, John, with the carpal tunnel, that constant movement, it doesn't even matter if you're pushing hard. It's going right, to hurt. Right, so right. in that case, you might want to consider doing your underpainings, your background with watercolor. 
get a quality light fast watercolor and use that as your background and just use your pencils for the detail. That may be a way that you can still create colored pencil work, but save yourself so much movement because those backgrounds take the most work for me anyway. It's so much movement with the layers. So anybody who had, you know, problems if the other methods didn't work using a good good form and such that may be a really good alternative that allows you to continue working with the medium without having so much pain all right so namita writes how do you fix mistakes in colored pencil pieces if you need to cover something up or slightly alter the size or the shape of any element in a piece after the piece is nearly done how do you do that? This is a topic that we could do an entire show yeah. on this, really. But it's a great question. And invariably, this happens to me from time to time where I'll be nearly done. And I'll look at something like, wow, how did I get that so off? It happens to everyone. So don't feel bad about it, first off. Secondly, though, when you're looking at it and you're trying to figure out how to correct this, a couple of things to keep in mind then. Depending on the techniques that you use on that particular piece, if you're like me, often I I'll change my technique uh, depending on what I'm trying to accomplish and what I'm wanting to do on that particular piece, uh, the support I'm using that particular time, the pencils I choose to use with that subject, whatever. The list can go on and on. But if I've not used OMS then in an area, there is a strong chance, and this is what I teach in my Beginner's Colored Pencil course. I teach people how to correct these kind of things. I have a whole section on how to correct mistakes. Um, and what I try to teach with good form in creating colored pencil pieces and the way that you use the pencils and the stroke that you employ is that if you're careful about your layering and how you're laying the pencils down, very, very soft, light touch at the beginning, there is a strong possibility, depending on the support now, that you're able to take all of that off. And I know some people nearly gasp when they hear me say that. Say, no, there's always going to be ghosting. You can never get it all the way off. Well, I've done it and I teach how to do it. It's not some big mystery. You can do it. Now, with that said, there are other supports and other techniques that I also use where that's impossible. You just cannot do that. But let me tell you three ways to remove mistakes. And I also have a blog post about this on my site as well. But the first thing that you can do is you can use a kneaded eraser. That's a very low-tack way of trying to remove some pencil. If that isn't working, and that would be my first choice, typically, then I would use possibly a stronger putty, like museum putty. I often use that. Tap on that quite a bit first. Don't do scrubbing. Don't rub it back and forth. If that isn't working, then you can use magic tape or scotch tape. Press on the back of that as you're putting the sticky side down towards the pigment. Now, if you're not careful, you'll remove more than what you desired to remove and what you're really intending to remove. So be careful about that. The other thing you can do, you can use a battery-operated eraser, and those work quite nicely as well. Those are three things you can do to try to remove something. You can also, depending on the support and if it'll take it enough, you can use OMS, and that kind of obliterates a lot of things around it, so I'd be careful about that one. But it is an option. So there are ways of doing this, so don't, don't just think that, oh... It's impossible at this point. The other thing I would do before I ever hit my project is I would practice whatever it is on a test sheet of paper first. So if I've built up enough layers on that test sheet, just like I have on my actual project, then I'll test over there first the exact technique and method that I'm going to use for erasing all of these things and make sure that I don't have any surprises when I do that. 
I'm just somebody who likes to test. I like to test with my artwork and not artwork that I care about that I'm going to sell or anything like that. Don't try to misunderstand me, but I'm somebody who likes to test. I, I know some artists don't like to do that um, and shy away from testing. They just want to stick to the same techniques that they've always used for so many years. And that's fine, too. I really like the Faber-Castell. They have their precision eraser. It's like an ink eraser, but you have to be super careful. And it depends on the type of paper you're using because it can tear up your paper if you overdo it. It's not going to erase it back to white, and especially in my case, because I use OMS. So my paper's always a bit stained there, but I'm usually able to lift up enough then I can get more pencil on top of it to cover whatever that mistake was or kind of, of hide it. The other way that I go with is using the touch-up texture, titanium white mixture. Now, you have to be careful because in using this, it's opaque. And I can paint that white on it. But because it's opaque, I'm going to lose some of that translucency between those previous layers. It'll be obvious something was different where I put that. So that's kind of, you know, I've got to watch where I use that for fixing mistakes. But I can kind of white an area out and then rework over that area. And the touch-up texture, titanium white, because it has touch-up texture, in it, it adds tooth back to that area of the paper. So once I kind of white it out, I can can start building that area again. But again, you have to be careful when you'd use that to fix mistakes, especially if it's a big area. Let's say I'm like, oh my gosh, the nose on this portrait is terrible. I'm really not going to want to white out the whole nose and then go over it with that product because it's probably going to be pretty obvious. It doesn't match the rest of the skin because I'm losing the the layers of translucency there. But if it's like a small thing where I'm like, I just needed to slide this area over just a little bit. I can put that with the touch-up texture titanium white mixture, cover that up, and then kind of create a shadow on the outside edge to push, you know, change the shape a little bit. Sometimes that'll work. You have to be careful when you use it, though, because like I said, if it's a big area, it'll be noticeable that you you put that down first. Let me just say one last thing about that, and that is, yeah, it's not necessary. You made me think of this, Lisa. It's not necessary to go back to the white of the paper most yeah. of the time. Uh, if it's in a very, very light area and you put dark pigment down, yeah, then obviously you're going to have some problems there. But most of the time you can layer on top of that. And colored pencils, um, they're translucent, but they're opaque enough to where you're going to be able to cover things uh, with enough layers to where you'll shift that color in the correct direction. Um, Michael writes, do you have any specific paper choices and recommendations when doing colored pencil work? Do the paper choices differ depending on the pencil being used or the subject matter? Yeah, definitely. And what I like, someone else may not like so much. So for example, when I'm, I'm drawing portraits, I really like Stonehenge, the, the ones sold in the individual sheets, not the pack, even though they're, they're labeled as being the same. They're not. Anyone who's used both can tell you they're not, but the ones sold in individual sheets, I can get the best blending on those. Now for something where I want tiny, tiny fine detail, like I'm doing a damask print. I did that on Stonehenge. Did not like it. It was really hard for me to get sharp edges. In that case, I like the Fabriano Artistico Extra White Hot Press 140 pound watercolor paper or Arches. I'm really a big fan of the Arches Hot Press watercolor paper. Those are probably my favorites. I love the Canson Me Tens because I can get pigment down really fast. If I want to get a project done quickly where I can just get tons of pigment really fast, I'm in love with the smooth side of the Canson Me Tens. But the point is, it's going to depend on the artist. Some, I know one artist, Alan Woolett's a good example. Alan Woolett, only uses the Fabriano Artistico. I don't think he's changed from that, the hot press watercolor paper. And he hates Stonehenge. Like he, he calls it Spongehenge, which is not an inaccurate description. But he, it doesn't work for his techniques well. He's not a fan of that paper. Now, does that mean the next person is going to not like Stonehenge because of it? No, I like it for certain techniques. There's no definite right or wrong answer here. These are just the papers that I found work well for my techniques. Yeah, I'm pretty eclectic when it comes to uh 
papers, supports, and pencils. Um, and I don't think there's as big a difference as a lot of artists try to act like there is. It depends on the project that I'm working on. If I'm wanting to do something quickly, I'm going to use sanded paper. If it's something that I'm going to work a little bit smaller and there's a certain, you know, like a colored background or something like that, then I'm probably going to use a smooth paper. If I want something quick, it's either sanded paper or a very smooth, less tooth paper. Uh, if I'm doing something where I'm going to do something large and I don't care about how long that it it's going to take, then I'm going to think about the tooth and I'm going to use something that is, you know, has more tooth. Here, Here's the thing about it. Do, don't just take somebody's word for what you, you know, don't don't listen to what I'm saying about it or or even what Lisa is saying about it and say, OK, then if that's what she does or that's what I John does, that's what I'm going to do. Test it for yourself and see what you think and figure out what is going to work with your technique because it depends on what your goals are, depends on how large you work, how small you work, depends on which pencils you prefer. There's so many variables in there and it is a lifetime thing where, uh, you know, you'll see people talking about, oh, I've decided to finally switch uh, supports. I was using this paper, or this canvas for so long. And they're not happy with it. It seems like some artists are never happy with the paper that they're using. So just, you know, figure out something that is going to work for you. Test on some smaller samples and some studies first. Figure out what you think you like and then go with that. If you if you feel like you're someone who needs to have something set and that you're not going to change it all that often. I don't like that. I like to vary it and to keep it interesting and to keep changing things. Uh, I don't like to just stick with one. Doesn't sound like you you like to either, Lisa. No. But I like to switch it up and um, and it depends on what I'm doing. So Yeah, and I'm going to have to adjust my technique based on the yeah. paper I'm using. I mean, a good example, and this isn't so much with paper, but I recently did a project for Faber-Castell where I could only use Faber-Castell um, or the Polychromos mm -hmm. pencils for that specific project. Right. Well, their white isn't super opaque. So I had to adjust my techniques to account for that. Does that make mean my work came out lesser than it would if I used a like drawing Chinese white? No, not at all. It, it came out totally fine. Uh, you know, it, you you just adjust your technique based on the tools that you're using. It, it's not necessarily this one is is the best and this one is the worst. Or You know, you just have to, like John said, there's so many variables. There's so many factors involved in what will, will make you change something. So yeah, I definitely... I definitely can't say there's one that's the best. I, I have lots I like, that's for sure. Okay, Peter writes, explain the term layers that is often used. What exactly is considered a layer? It is confusing for some, and there is a mix of interpretations of the use of the term layers. Okay, now I agree with you, Peter, that um, there is some interpretation typically involved with that. When I'm using the term layer, let me just back up, I guess, before I start talking about that. Um, I don't think that we ought to think of the term layer as just being such a strict definition. And if, if you, if you hear someone say the word layer, what, I mean, what comes to your mind? Something that is underneath something else. You, you lay down something and then, uh, it is considered, um, you know, something that can be drawn on top of, you know, I, I'm, trying to define this without using color pencil or any of these uh, terms surrounding color pencil art. But generally speaking, I mean, it seems like it would make sense that, I mean, if you think about a, a layered cake or you talk about uh, anything else that's layered, there is something on top of something else and something's underneath. So I would think of it, it generally 
as that, that there's something underneath. And so if I'm doing a layer and I say, okay, let's do a layer of this pink color on the skin, then I'm going to talk about how much of that pink, and then that would give me some more exact language around what I'm meaning by that layer. And typically when I'm talking about a layer with portraits, often I'll say something like, okay, now we've built up this underpainting with, you know, maybe burnt ochre, luminance pencil, and now we're going to go on top of that with a layer, a light layer of pink. And so that doesn't mean that I'm never going to retrace an area in pink but I'm going to use one single stroke everywhere on the surface of that area that we're covering in this layer with pink. No, I may go over it a couple of times, but the glazing terminology that I may use or talking about it being light layer or something like that, I'm going to use other descriptions to define what I'm talking about with that layer. I think we need to think more generally about that term, just not get caught up on what does that mean exactly, because it can mean so many different things. And I think we just need to uh, understand what the particular intent is behind what someone is saying when they say, I'm going to do this layer, Well, they need to define a little bit more about what that is whenever you're talking about it. Yeah. You just kind of have to take it, the context, yeah. you know, interpret it that way. I mean, is somebody talking about, they can use the word blue. Does it mean they're sad or does it mean the color? You know, you have to take the rest of the context to kind of figure it out because yeah, what Sean's saying is so true. That word can mean so many different things and so many different, you know, um, ways that, yeah, I really don't have anything else to add over that because that's exactly what it is. It just means, it can mean so many different things. There's no one right or wrong answer. When I use the word layer, it could be one of five different techniques. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, these are great questions. And if you have one you would like to add to the mix, you can submit one over at sharpenedartist.com slash Q&A. Reach out to us through email podcast at sharpenedartist.com. If you like the show, consider leaving us a rating and or a review wherever you listen to your podcast. And this is a weekly show. We'll talk to you again next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. All the show notes can be found at www.sharpenedartist.com.